I just want to preach the word of God. Every Sunday, let's open up the word and preach the word. Yes? And when we do that, I know, look, you don't see us advertising newspapers. You don't see us on TV. Yes, we've got banners out to show the people where we are. But I believe if God knows who's needy. And the Bible says in Acts that He added to the church as He wanted to add. So I'm not going to run around to, to, to fill up the chest. If you look for a pastor like that, it's not me. I'm going to preach the word. And pray and preach the word. Amen? Is that what we want? And I don't actually want it only for me, for you as well. You need to pray and study the word this year. Don't take every word I say. No, no, test it. Test every word and everything that you listen to this year. So God was good and we thank Him for that. But we want to start with a fantastic book today, the book of Revelation. Yes, I'm so excited. I couldn't wait for this time because it is truly a great book. So people are afraid of this book. So many churches are afraid to preach through the book because they say it's a lot of controversy, which I say it's not. Some people say it's difficult. And look, to be quite honest, if you read the book, just open it up and you read it, quite honestly, you will lose yourself in it. And you'll go, it is a difficult book. I'm not going to lie to you. But starting to preach this book this morning, I feel a little bit inadequate to preach it. I'm going to be honest to you. Not because of my inadequacy. It is because I know these people who hasn't read the whole Bible from cover to cover. And that makes you inadequate to understand the book of Revelation. You don't go into a bookshop and buy a book, a novel or whatever book. And then you come and you open up the last chapter and you read the last chapter. Do you do that? No, you don't do that because you won't understand the storyline. Well, when I read a book, I start at the prologue. I start at the very start. I want to know why people have written the books they are writing. What is the reason for writing this book? Our prologue starts with the love of God. He wrote this book and He gave it to us because He loves us so much. It's a love letter. And we need to start to read from Genesis. In fact, we should have started today with a study verse by verse through the book of Genesis. And then we continue on into the book of Revelation. Revelation is the 66th book in the Bible. There's 66 books and 40 authors. And John pinned down this revelation. And by the way, it's not revelations. It's one revelation. There are many visions within the revelation, but it's one revelation that God gave him. So the whole Bible, this whole book is written about Jesus Christ. You'll find Jesus Christ in Genesis right through until the end, and we're going to find him here in the book of Revelation. It's going to be like a movie we will find and discover over this next year, we will find that as we continue on, there's parts there where we're going to pause in Revelation. And then we're going to have a chapter or a few verses which are going to go back to the Old Testament. We're going to also find that there's a lot of things happening at the same time. It was written in 95 AD. There's a few uh, scholars who dispute that. They say it might have been written later on. But uh, most of them say it's been written in 95 A.D. And we find that John the Apostle, the one who Jesus loved, written this, uh, this revelation. And by the time now he's on the Isle of Patmos, and he was sent to the Isle of Patmos, and we're going to see that as well, 
by the Romans because the Caesar wanted to be God and people to worship him as God, and John wasn't doing that, so he sent him to this island. It's a small island, and they were sent there to work in the mines and to break stones. It was a hard and a tough place to be. So he's sitting on this island. The word revelation comes from the Greek word apocalypsis, and it means a disclosure of truth. In fact, it's an unveiling. It's this, as if I have this curtain, and you don't know what's on the backside of this curtain. And slowly but surely, that word means we are opening up, and don't worry, there's nothing behind there, okay? I know we're in a funeral home, but don't worry, I'm not going to scare you. <laughs> but it is like pulling the curtain away, and now it's disclosing bit by bit. So some of you can see some parts of it. But as you open up it fully, you can see the whole effect, what's going on behind the curtain. And this is what revelation means. It means the unveiling, the lifting up, so that people can see what's going on in the world. We find in Deuteronomy chapter 29, 29, the following verse, which I love. He says, the secret things, everybody say secret things. Now, there's a Latin word, absconditus, for that. Absconditus. It means it is not in your vision. The secret things belong to the Lord, our God. And who knows there's a lot of secret things in the Bible. There's lots there. Look, the most cleverest people in this world are still baffled by the secret things in the Word of God. And this book is all. It's written many decades ago. They've had so much time to study it, but they still can't understand the most secret things of God. And I must say, you know, I've been studying this book over 20 years now. And even now when I read over the same passages that I've studied before, I find new things. That's so wonderful. He says, the secret things belong to the Lord our God, but those, everybody say but... What does but means? A sharp contrast. He says, but those things which are revealed, revelators, revealed belong to us and to our children forever that we may do all the words of this law. Now I know this was written in the Old Testament by Moses. I know it's part of the Jews. Now they were writing it, but friend, it is for you and for me as well. The things which are revealed belongs to to us. And now we are busy with the book of Revelation. A revelation, a revealing of Jesus Christ and of the future things. It belongs to us. Now it amazes me, and I don't want you all to uh, put up your hands or don't, but who in this place has read the book of Revelation from verse 1 to the end? Right through. Here we go. This is something that belongs to us, yet we don't want to take it. It amazes me. It absolutely amazes me that churches don't want to preach this. It is something that belongs to the body of Christ. It is something that belongs to the saint. It is something that belongs to the child of God. And this is the only book, and we're going to see that as well. I'm, I'm going forward. But this is the only book that gives us a blessing. He says there's a blessing in this. Yet people don't want to read that. He says here in Deuteronomy 29, 29, but those things which are revealed 
belong to us and to our children forever. The best ever thing that you can give your children is not the latest game or fix or IT equipment. No, the best ever thing you can give your child is what God has revealed to you. The revelation of God. Now, when we come to the book, and we're going to do the first three verses today, but I just want to lay a few foundations here. When we come to the book of Revelation, we need to look into the book not through glasses of opinion. There's a few terms I'm going to show you now. And people generally come to the book of Revelation and they see Revelation through these glasses. The first one is a premillennial concept. You need to know this as we go through the book of Revelation because it will influence the way that you see the book of Revelation. Pre-millennials believe that Jesus returned to the earth before the millennium begins and He Himself will establish and rule over it. Now I want you, if you've got your Bible, to open up in Revelation chapter 20. Revelation chapter 20, and I highly recommend for the next year you bring your Bible to church because a lot of verses is going to be on the board, but a lot of verses we're going to go to the good book. Yes, to your Bible. Some people will come to you and they will ask you, what are you? Are you a premillennial or are you a postmillennial? And if you don't know these concepts, you don't know what they are talking, and I want to show you this. Look at Revelation chapter 20. Verse 1, he says, Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, having a key to the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hands. Now we, as we're going to go verse by verse, we'll come to this chapter and I will deal with it specifically. He laid hold of the dragon, that serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. And he cast him into the bottomless pit, and shut him up and set a seal on him, so that he should not deceive the nations no more till the thousand years were finished. But after these things, he must be released for a little while. And we'll explain that. And I saw thrones, and they that sat on them, and the judgment was committed to them. Then I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their witness to Jesus and for the word of God, who had not worshipped the beast and his image and not received the mark on their foreheads and on their, on their hands, and they lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. Now this says that there's going to come a time, a millennium, that Christ is going to come and reign on this earth as king, as promised in the Old Testament. Now the premillennialists say that Jesus Christ is going to come back in His second coming, He's going to set His feet on the Mount of Olives, and He's going to set up His kingdom on this earth. It's a literal kingdom, and He's going to reign for a thousand literal years. This is what premillennialist means. But then there's another group, and they are postmillennialists. As they say that Jesus' second coming is after the millennium, post-millennium. They say He's coming and that we're going to go into a golden age or an era of Christian prosperity and dominance. And I, there's a reason why I bring these things up and I want to talk to you today about it. Because I want to suggest to you, in fact I know 
that there are many churches today who are sitting in this basket because they are preaching Christian prosperity. They are saying kingdom is now. In fact, some of them are still trying to set up the kingdom while others are saying we are already in the kingdom. But here is the problem with that. Because I just read to you there in Revelation chapter 20 that Satan is going to be bound for a thousand years. That means that there's a lot of things he can't do on this earth. Then why do I find it then that in 2 Timothy chapter 3 verse 1, Paul talks about our day. Now let's open there. 2 Timothy chapter 3. Who knows that we are living in the last days? If you don't know that, I think you're asleep. Because you look around you on the newspapers and you see what's going on. And I'm going to read you something that Paul wrote way back. And he writes this in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1. He says, but know this. Know this. Be sure. Know what I'm telling you right now. That in the last days, perilous times will come. For men will be lovers of themselves. Are you seeing that around you these days? Lovers of money. This is what they teach our children. You are successful if you are rich. Boasters, proud, blasphemous, disobedient to parents. We haven't lived in an age, let me tell you now, that is worse than today, of children being disobedient to their parents and to their elders. I mean, if you reach your older age in this time of life, you're in trouble, not by ISIS, not by world or terrorists, it is by the youngsters of disrespect. Disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power and from such people turn away. So how is it then that these people saying that we are having a golden age of Christian prosperity and dominance? Let me tell you, these people are the people who says there's a five-point peace plan. That we're going to get rid of, of pestilence, of poverty, of all of these things. Yes, you know his name is Rick Warren. He wrote that and a lot of churches build into this. The five-piece plan. Why? Because we're going to set up this golden era of Christian prosperity and dominance. These people are all part of the post-millennial group. They believe that Jesus Christ will come back after the thousand years. If that is the case, then I want to tell you, you can live as, as you want to live, because you know Christ is not going to come back tomorrow. There's still got to be that thousand years. But then there's a third group. They are called amillennialists. So you get your premillennialists. This is when Christ comes back, as I've showed you according to Revelation chapter 20, set up His kingdom for a thousand years at the second coming. And then you get the post-millennialists, and they say that Christ is coming back at the end of that. And then you get this group that say, no, 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 there is no millennial. That is only hypothetical talking. 
When you read the Bible, you shouldn't take every word literally. You should spiritualize the Bible. And therein lies a danger. Let me tell you, the Bible is a spiritual book. But you cannot spiritualize it because it applies to you physically. Sin is sin. It's not a sickness. And if you sin, you need to repent of your sin and turn to God. Otherwise, let me tell you this, there is not a spiritual hell, there is a literal hell. And it's not spiritual fire, it is literal flames. And it's not a spiritual torment that you're going to go through, it is a literal torment that you're going to go through. But this group say no. It's a spiritual thousand years and there's no millennial that's going to take place. So you don't care when Christ is coming or not coming. So Christ is not going to physically sit on the throne. And you know this group is also throwing out Israel. They said that God has got no plan for Israel anymore. Replacement theology, have you heard about that? Where the church has replaced Israel. Let me tell you that that is a lie out of the pit of hell. God has still got a plan with Israel, as you're going to see in the book of Revelation. I'm going to show you precisely in a few months. I don't know when we're going to get there, but I'll show you precisely what God's plan is with Israel in the book of Revelation. Maybe they should read, read the book of Revelation and not make just statements. But there's a big group who's sitting in this group here. So uh, that's important why you need to know. I want to tell you where I'm sitting, personally, and look, I want to say at the, at the start here, I'm not holding myself up as this scholar of the Bible. What I'm saying and preaching to you is under conviction by the Holy Spirit and what I've studied in the Scriptures. I hold this position. I believe that Jesus Christ is going to come back to this earth and set up His kingdom for a thousand years and He's going to rule and reign as King in Jerusalem. He's going to set his feet on the Mount of Olives. And listen to this, dear friends. You know, the world knows this. Hollywood knows this. You see, of all of these blasphemous movies coming out these days, it's all tied to the Bible. It is the Antichrist instead of Christ. And they bring these movies out and they feed it to your young children. And you know what? That becomes their Bible. You know that even the Muslims know that he's coming back and they're afraid of that. They've built... On the eastern gate where Jesus Christ is going to walk through that gate, they've put a graveyard there. They don't know my king. (laughs) Hallelujah. You know what he did once? His voice went into the chasms of the departed of the dead, and he called the man. He says, Lazarus, come forth. They can do whatever they want that gate will open up and my king will walk through into Jerusalem. Praise the Lord for that. So there's a few views. Most probably, well, I'll tell you, if you hold that view there, revelation will mean different things for you. And if you hold this, revelation means nothing to you. So then you can have, shockingly, where ministers stand behind pulpits and say, no, you don't have to, you don't preach out of revelation. It's a book that confuses the people and chases them away. But there's other views as well which I quickly want to touch on. We talk about the, the, uh, the rapture. Who believes in the rapture? The word rapture you don't find in the Bible, I know that. It is an uh, English word. It comes from a, 
a Latin word which is rapatu, and the word for rapatu in Greek is harpazo. That is the connection to the word rapture. You can scratch out the book rapture in your Bible and put in there harpazo, which means it's a snatching away. Now I'm going to deal with that specifically when we get to chapter 4. But for now, I just want to give you the view so that you understand that people will read the, the book of Revelation and if they look it through one of these glasses, it will mean different for them and it will make it difficult. The pre-tribulation rapture believes that Jesus Christ comes before the tribulation that's talked in the Bible, in the book of Revelation. The tribulation. I want you to understand that that tribulation that Revelation is talking about is the wrath of God. There's a difference between the wrath and persecution. Persecution is happening right now. The wrath of God hasn't hit this world yet. Let me tell you, friend, you don't want to be on this earth when the wrath of God is going to hit this earth. There's a difference there. The pre-tribulation rapture means that if Christ is coming back, and He can come back any day. He can come back tomorrow. Nothing holds Him back. I know there's people who's looking at signs. I know there's people who says, but this sign needs to happen and that sign needs to happen. Well, if that's the case, then Christ is bound by signs before He can come. But the Bible says He can come any time. And Jesus says it will be as in the days of Noah. You remember that? So what happened in the days of Noah? I know people say it became so violent and the violence was an outcry. I know that and it's true. But you know what is the biggest sign of Noah's day? It is what we have right now. He says that people gave to marriage and they continued on as, they, as nothing's going to happen. So if you ask me for a sign for the coming of Christ, for the rapture, it's already here. I don't have to show to CNN or CBS or MSN. I don't have to. There is so many things happening in the world right now. And you know what people say? Oh, I'm just glad it didn't happen to me. And they continue on with their lives. Give no regard to Christ. Go and read Romans chapter 1 and it will explain to you. The second one is the mid-tribulation rapture. And these people say that the rapture occurs at the near midpoint of the tribulation. So they say there's seven years, and we will deal with this. I, I, I mean, I can keep you here today for five hours, believe me. And I've got so many things that's just, I don't want to, uh, uh, there's times for this and we'll explain it. But they, there's seven years tied to the book of Daniel. And by the way, you need to understand Daniel to understand Revelation. They are tied you need to understand Ezekiel to understand Revelation. But there's seven years that's, that still owes, owed to the, to the nation of Israel. And these people say that in the half of those seven years, the rapture will take place. And then the worst three and a half years will take place. The mid-trip rapture. The Bible is not a contentious book. And we should not make it contentious. But there's... Groups here who will not talk to each other because one says, well, I'm a pre-trip and you're a mid-trip and I'm not going to talk to you. And I say, well, wait a minute. Where is the love of God? The Bible says, Jesus said to his disciples, he said, by this the world will know you, my disciple, if you love one another. 
And no doubt, friends, as I'm going to go through Revelation, you might sit here and you might not agree with something that I say. And I openly want to invite you to come and talk. Let's talk. But you know, this thing about if you don't hold the pre-trip, people will come and say, what are you? Are you a pre-trip or, or, or mid-trip? Oh no, I'm a pre-trip. Okay, yeah, that's fine. I'm not a friend with you anymore. I'm going to stand with this group of mid-trips over here and we're going to start shoving over stuff over you and those guys are doing the same. Let me tell you, friends, I know this, the, trouble, uh, the, the rapture is going to take place. Jesus is coming back to take us up into the clouds. But then there's the third group, and they are the pre-tribulation, or the post-tribulation rapture. They say that the seven years will take place, and then after the seven years, the rapture will take place. In other words, the church will go through all of the wrath of God, and at the end, yes, God will protect them right through, but at the end of that, He will rapture the church. And that is part of the second coming of Christ. And then there's a fourth group actually as well, and they are called the pre-wrath rapture group. So imagine yourself, you know, these people sitting in each one of these groups and they don't want to talk to each other. Because I hold on to my little group. And I hold on to my view. Now personally, as I said to you, I believe in the, uh, in the premillennial view of the Bible, that Christ is going to come back and set up his reign on this earth. And I also believe in the pre-tribulation. But I also understand my brothers who talk about the mid-tribulation. And look, there's heavy names in the world who's talking about that. I'll give you my views and I'll give you the views of the mid-tribulation and you can make up your mind where you stand with that. So there's four classes of people that John write this prophecy to. And Peter was talking to me before and I agree with him what he said. There's only two groups of people in the world. It's the safe and the unsaved. So who was this written to? He was writing to the Jews. He's a Jew himself. And you will find that the Jews is written into this chapter as well, as of the whole Bible. First to the Jews, then to the Gentiles. The second group was Jewish Christians like himself, a Messianic Christian. And also Gentile Christians like me. I'm not a Jew, but I'm a Gentile Christian. And the fourth group is the Gentiles. Now, do you think the Gentiles is going to read the book of Revelation? I don't think so. They don't read it. They don't care about it. But they are there. And you will see the judgment of God come upon the Gentiles. So this book is still open. Look, it's not a secret book. It's not as if we're sitting here this morning and say, look, you people, the Gentiles who are not Christians, you're not allowed to read it. They're allowed to read this. I'll tell you one thing, they'll get a shock of their life if they read it, and when they read it. So he write it for these groups here, and more specifically for these people to encourage them who are sitting in the church. There's also a threefold application of the book of Revelation. There is a local application that means that it was written to and for the local people of John's day, for the churches which was just established. But there's also a prophetic application, which means that in the day that John wrote this, he was written, writing it for us and for our children. And there is still things to come to place. Still things need to happen. There's still prophecies in the book of Revelation, the biggest part of it, that hasn't happened yet. 
but should the Lord tarry for the next hundred years to come? I don't think so, but should he tarry? And I will pass on, and you will pass on most probably. We're not meant to live 150 years. But let's say a new generation comes up. It is also written for them. So it is a prophetic application. And then it is a personal application. It means it's written for you and for me. And what I'm going to do in this next year is I'm going to do inductive study through this. What I mean by that is we use the information about a specific situation and draw a conclusion from that. So in other words, we're not going to read meaning into the word. That is why I started off showing you the different views, the pre, pre-millennial view, the post-millennial view, and I'm showing you the pre-trip uh, rapture, the post-trip and mid-trip. That's why I showed that to you. If I come here and I am a, a millennialist who doesn't believe in the millennium, then I can find verses here which I can teach to you and say there is no millennial. But that is reading meaning into the text. That is changing the text to fit what I want to tell you. And let me tell you, dear friends, that is a world way of preaching. A world view of preaching. Watch out for that. You know, people coming out and say, we're going to preach the world view. I don't want to preach the world view. I want to preach Christ's view. What does it mean? It means I'm going to look now at news events, what's going on in the world, and when I find, oh, Trump, he's the new president of America, oh, it's all going to fall apart. Let's go into the Bible and see where we can find Trump. And believe me, people are doing it. You'll be shocked. I'm listening to sermons now where these pastors coming out with scripture verses where they see Trump in the Bible. And I go, I never knew that. What? (laughs) Yes, it's the last Trump, true. That's if his son doesn't run as well. (laughs) But watch out for that. I don't need a worldview to come and find something in the Bible and then try to indoctrinate you with my viewpoint of the world. No, it's Christ's viewpoint. And the best to extract that out of the Bible is to do inductive study. How do you do that? First of all, we do an observation. We read the text and we see what it says. Then we interpret it. What does it mean? And what does it mean is not what does it mean to my little feeble brain here. No, no. We go back into the Old Testament. We, we confirm Scripture with Scripture. Not Scripture with a book that somebody wrote. Or not Scripture with what my pastor said. Or not scripture what what my wife or my husband said. No, no, no. We go to scripture and then we confirm scripture with scripture. That is what it means. And then we apply it, application. What does it mean for my life? And let me tell you, God will and He's going to bless you through this book. That was the introduction. And I'll pray now and we can go. No, let's do the first three verses. I'll be quick in this. It says the revelation, Revelation chapter 1 verse 1, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants things which must shortly take place. And he sent and signified it by his angel to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ. To all things that he saw, 
Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written in it, for the time is near. Three verses, but believe me, there's much in there. It says it's the revelation of Jesus Christ. Like I said to you, some people think it's the revelation of what's going to happen in the world tomorrow and the day after, and they frantically look into that. And you know what they normally do? They've never read the book of Revelation, and they dig into chapter 5, and they go straight to the trumpets and the veils and the bowls. And they say, ooh, it says there's a big comet coming. And then they go in and they find the astrologers and they say, oh, have you seen the star coming here? The star number what, 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 what? Oh, the Bible says it's going to happen. No, no, that's not what the revelation is. It's the revelation of Jesus Christ. That's what it is. Right there. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him. Now, what does it reveal about Christ in this for us? It's going to reveal his chief role in Revelation chapter 1 to 3. He's the exalted priest and king and he's ministering to the church. We're going to see his resurrected body. It's written there. How he's looking now. Uh, in Revelation chapter 4 and 5, it's his glorified lamb and lion who reign on the throne. We're going to see him as that. We're going to see him revealed as the judge of the earth. And then the conquering king coming back in Revelation 19, and then the bridegroom in chapter 21. All of this. Look, let me tell you one thing, friend. You're going to know Christ better after this. You're going to be more intimate with him after this. Knowing him, that's what I mean. And it also reveals different actions. He says it's a revelation of Jesus Christ. We're going to see him. Uh, uh, he gives, uh, tells Ron to write, John to write to the seven churches. He opens up the seven seals. He's the one who offers the prayers to the saints. He's the one who delivers the little book to John. You remember that little book when he says, take the book and eat it, and it's bitter and sweet. It's a wonderful passage that. He returns as the conquering king. So it's a revelation of Jesus Christ which God gave him to show his servants. Who's his servants? It's us. It's not for the world. So it finds me, it fascinates me that the world, Hollywood, is taking revelation and they make movies out of it. They make movies out of it. And then churches grab those movies and they make Bible studies out of those movies. It amazes me. It's not for them. It's blasphemous. It's absolutely blasphemous. Churches shouldn't do that, but they will, because they tickle the ears. They want money. They want mega churches. We don't want that. We want to preach the Word of God. It's this revelation of Jesus Christ. In Psalm 40, verse 7, he says, Then I said, Behold, I come, and the scroll, the book, it is written of me. Jesus says, This whole book is written of him. It's a revelation of Jesus Christ. That's what revelation is all about. He says, it's a revelation of God to show his servants and then sent and signified it by his angel to his servant John. So he used an angel in this regard to show it to John. But in certain parts he's going to reveal himself to John. Certain parts it is going to be an elder who talks to John. And then an angel is going to again talk to John. So there's different views of information coming from God 
to John, but it is the revelation of Jesus Christ. And I want to show you this word here because it, it, uh, it's interesting to note that. He says, things which must shortly take place. Now, people might say, wait a minute. When John wrote this in 90 AD, where are we sitting now? In 2017. He said it must take shortly where it didn't take place. And look, I've had this argument over the years, over the years. Unbelievers, unbelievers coming to me don't believe in the rapture or in this. They say, look at that. Earthquakes happened back then. The only reason why there's more earthquakes now is because now we can monitor them. All of these things happen. Nothing is happening. Where is Christ? He said, shortly. Surely the Bible is wrong there. But you see, they were wrong because they didn't understand the word. The Greek word is take. It means sudden. And let me explain this to you, friend. It means it might not have taken place yet, but when it's going to start happening, it's going to be in a quick, suddenly, it's going to take place, all of these things. If you think about seven years that a lot of these things need to take place, it's a lot of things that's going to happen in quick succession. So this is what it means there when he says, it will, once it starts, nothing can stop it. And he sent, and he signified it by his angel to his servant John. Now, signified there is semanio. It means to make known by a sign or a wonder or a miracle. It is the same word that John uses in his gospel when he writes about the miracles of Jesus. Now, why did he use that word? Because it means that each one of these signs and wonders and miracles that took place has got a deeper spiritual meaning than just the power that's been displayed. And if you understand that, you will understand all the signs in the Bible because there is many of them. Symbols. But they will refer back to the Old Testament. That's why I say, if you don't understand the whole Bible, then Revelation will be difficult. A lot of the symbols that we're going to look in is explained in the Old Testament. And you can't go wrong. If you look at a symbol that's happening right now in, the, in, in Revelation, the beast or any one of these things, if you're going to look at that, and you go back in the Old Testament, you see it's explained there. Then you will explain, understand it here. And friend, if you understand that, you will not be tossed to and fro with any wind of change of things coming around the world about these signs. The Bible explains itself. Now, you might say, why did God give these as symbols? Why didn't He just say, you know, talking about the beast that's going to come out, why didn't He just say there's going to be a despot, a ruler, who's going to come and rule the world and be high. Why didn't he just say, why did he have to say the beast? Well, I believe there's a few reasons for that. First of all, I, I believe that, you know, it was a spiritual code, which can only be understood by them who know Christ. And it is. Revelation is a spiritual code. Now, stop before you think I'm going to go into these books who go into the codes, which open it up and say, oh, there's the name of Donald Trump and Bill Gates. That's not what I'm talking about. It's what we are doing now. Now, to explain that, turn with me to Matthew chapter 13 quickly. Matthew chapter 13. It's interesting. 
Jesus gives seven parables in Matthew chapter 13. Seven. It starts with the parable of the sower. You remember that? Sower went out and he sowed, and some fell on, on the wayside, and some fell on between rocks, and some fell on thorny, and some on good soil. And he, he tells us all about that. That's the first part of Matthew chapter 13. And it's interesting, because in verse 1 says that there's a multitude that came. And you know what they heard? They heard the story. And then, when we go down to verse I've uh, went to for my time. Go down to verse 10. He says, And the disciples came to him and said to him, Why do you speak to them in parables? Come on, Jesus, why don't you just tell them what it means? Why did you have to tell them a story? An earthly story with a heavenly meaning. That's what a parable is. Why? It's the same what we have here. Why did you have to signify this? Why did you have to... Explain revelation in symbols. It's like we just say it right there. I believe it's a spiritual code and it's understood only by them who know Christ. Look at this here. Jesus' own words. In verse 11. And he answered and said to them, Because it has been given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. Friend, if you study the Bible, if you're a child of God, if you know Christ, you will be inclined to study your Bible. You'll be inclined to know Him. And you know what He's going to do? He's going to reveal more to you. Not to the Gentile. It's not as if He's going to grab the worst sinner in the world walking past and then He's going to start talking to him. And look, you find a lot of these things happening in the world right now. When they say, oh, I just heard a voice and then I'm saved. No, no, no. You repent of your sin, you commit to Christ, and you become a born-again child of God. He fills you with His Spirit, and then He becomes your teacher, and He gradually opens and reveals the Word of God to you. The mysteries He reveals to you. To the people it will be parables, but to you it will be a spiritual meaning. So that's why people can't understand Revelation. It's only symbols to them. But the more you know Christ, the more you will understand the code. So the code is not in these machines in which they bring out and gives letters and try to work out names. No, the code is just plainly this. It's no secret. Know Christ. Be His child. For whoever has to Him, more will be given and He will have with abundance. But whoever does not have, even that what he hath will be taken away. Therefore, verse 13, I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, they do not understand. Why? Because they've got hardened hearts. And secondly, symbols is not weakened by time, is it? A beast is a beast. Back in the day and still today, it's a beast. And symbols impart values and emotions. If you talk about a beast, there's certain values and emotions comes in and you just say a world ruler comes in and he's a dictator. So uh, he signified it. Now let me finish off with these two verses. This is a fascinating verse for me. He says, Who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Christ, of Jesus Christ, of all things that he saw. You remember in the gospel, he says, this is the reason why I write the gospel. John chapter 20, verse 31, he says, 
that um, by believing in Jesus Christ, and, and he wrote all these things and many more things, but by believing we will have eternal life. That's part of it. But this word here, witness, comes from the Greek word martyr. That means that you die for what you believe in. And then he says, for the word of God. What is the word of God? We've got it in your hands. He was witness to the word of God. He saw Jesus Christ. John chapter 1 verse 1, In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Verse 14, He became life, and He lived amongst us. John chapter, first John chapter 1, He says, Whom we've seen, we've beheld, we've touched Him. Jesus Christ, I write to you about it. The word of God, and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Now, I thought that is the same, the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ, but it's not. The testimony is from the word martyro, which means Christ, Jesus Christ, when he died on the cross. So he tested, he carried a testimony of the, the, the uh, resurrected, uh, death and resurrected Christ as well. And those two things is the reasons why he's on the Isle of Patmos. Look quickly in your Bibles in one, uh, Revelation chapter 1. We're doing a lot of Bible work this morning. Revelation chapter 1, verse 9. <clears throat> While you are there, I will just read to you a verse from Revelation chapter 20 as well. Now listen to this. He says, I, John, your brother and companion in tribulation and the kingdom of patience of Jesus Christ was in the island of, called Patmos, for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. Why was he thrown on that island? For the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. Why will you and I be persecuted? For the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. Now let me read this to you in Revelation chapter 20. When I saw the angel coming down from heaven, having a key to the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand, he laid hold of the dragon and the serpent of old and the devil and bound him for a thousand and he cast him in the bottomless pit and shut him up and set a seal on him. And I saw the thrones and they sat on them, judgment committed to him. Then I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for the witness of Jesus and for the word of God. You will be persecuted for the word of God. What? You're a Christian. You believe in the Bible, the Word of God. Away with you. You believe in Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins and he, he was resurrected? Resurrected? Away with you. But it's going to change. It's not going to be away with you. It's going to be kill him. Kill her. It's coming. To a place near you. So... He says, who bore witness. Why did John get this revelation? He's the one who bore witness of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Just something that dropped in my mind, which is interesting. Some of you might find it interesting. It's to John. You remember when John's mother came to Jesus and said, can my son sit at your left and your right side? Can one sit with you in your kingdom when you come into your kingdom? And Christ said it's not to be determined by that. Now listen to this. The first one who was killed was John's brother. The last one who died of the apostles was John. They truly went through what Jesus said. It's fascinating if you understand the Bible and read it like that. 
Now, the last verse. Verse 3. He says, Blessed is he or she. Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written in it for the time is near. It's the only book in the Bible that talks about a blessing for the reader. And I know, I know for a fact, and I can testify for a fact, that if you read the whole Bible, Genesis, Exodus, and you go right through John, Matthew, you get a blessing. I know that. But this is the one book that says, if you read this, you are going to be blessed. Now that read is not a just, you know, 5 to 12 at night, I'm so tired, Lord, oh, geez, let me just quickly get that blessing now for the day. No. Oh, it's good. <laughs> the Bible talks about a blessing. Or tomorrow morning you're waking up and say, oh, Lord, it's such a terrible day. Look at the, look at the outside. It's, oh, it's not good. I'm not feeling good. Oh, let me just get a quick blessing here, Lord. That's not what it is. When he talks about reading, it says, read with intent. Read to understand. He who reads and those who hear the words. Look, let me tell you, I can safely say that. It's not because of my preaching. It's not because of my vocabulary. It's not because of... No, no. If you're going to sit here this whole year and you just listen to the preaching of the book of Revelation, well, guess what? You're going to be blessed. It's not me saying it. The Bible says it. You know, even if I just come up here and I read through it and I don't say any further words, which I should say less, I should say more the Bible, but even if I do that, you'll be blessed. You'll go away blessed. And the most important one, there is a big blessing for those who keep those, these, those things. Who keep what things? Keep the things of this book. Keep the things of the book of Revelation. He says, for the time is near. This is an urgent book. Uh, it is absolutely urgent to understand where you are with Christ. And this book will explain that to you. 